Welcome back to uh, Life Education's podcast again. We are slightly different today. We're set up in a coffee shop um, doing an audio-only version because we've got Andrew Hallam with us again and Caroline. Say hello, Andrew. Hey, you know, I'm, I'm a bit disappointed that uh, we don't have the video because I worked so hard on my hair this morning. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. You can tell. It looks great. We can, we can vouch for that. Well, do, you know, do you know what's really funny about last time you came on? I'll never forget your comment when you thought that we were filming it outside in a garden and you guys were so cute. You came in shorts and flip-flops <laughs> and T-shirts. So this time, by comparison, you're dressed uh, very, very nicely. You were also dressed nicely last time. But to be honest, <laughs> yes, that's true. lots of people have thought that we, we do it in a garden. So for anybody listening now, we don't just do it in a garden. It's just the decor in the room that we're in. It looks like a garden. Yeah. <laughs> it looks real. So after that, we had a lot of other people also turn up in shorts and T-shirts. Yeah. And I was saying to them, like, um, interestingly about your story and about how you thought <laughs> we were in a garden. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, quite funny. So know that I r- retell that to people. <laughs> yeah, You're, but you were the first of many. <laughs> to have that consideration. Anyway, we're in uh, we're in a coffee shop. There's a little bit of background noise, so forgive us for that. Um, we'll do our best to edit it out, but you may just have to make do with some banging and clashing in the backgrounds uh, because we wanted to take this opportunity. Andrew's in town for a few days. You're back from your world travels. Um, you give, you've given a couple of talks locally, Abu Dhabi during the week, and you've got one in Dubai tomorrow. What's the general gist of these conversations? The what I'm enjoying about this this one is usually I come and I talk about the, the contractual savings schemes, and and if you're listening and you've heard you haven't heard me for at all today's the very first time. My whole gist on the contractual savings schemes is to stay away from them. Mm-hmm. The products that are sold here are completely toxic. So they're sold by insurance companies. Mm-hmm. So you'll get these high commission sales people that are trying to talk you into 20, 25 year contractual savings plans. Mm-hmm. And they're horrible. And and it gets a bit depressing just talking about this. So while I'm here this time, I want to talk about the psychology of a great investor. So in my book, Millionaire Teacher or Million- and Millionaire Expat, both books, I talk about how to invest. I guess most specifically, if you're an expatriate, Millionaire Expat is, is the book that is the, uh, the how-to guide. So I talk about the process of how to invest. And so for many people, that process is, okay, understand that. Um, and they, they go through the process, but there's so many uh, mental obstacles that get in people's way when they're, when they're investing. Much mm-hmm. has to do with <clears throat> the media. Much has to do with fear and greed. So to directly answer your question, the talks I'm going to be doing or have been doing through the UAE this time around are dealing with the, um, the mindset of a strong investor and how to overcome those mental obstacles. So, so what, what is the mindset of a strong investor? Maybe well, you can impart some light. Yeah, that's a great question. That's a great question, Caroline. Here's, here's the thing. If you, you show somebody how to invest in a portfolio of low-cost index funds, which is so simple. It is so simple. It takes about an hour a year of your time. You don't ever have to watch the economy. Uh, look at economic forecasts. You don't have to pick hot stocks or hot funds. You're simply buying a globally diversified 
stock market index, and that's your main base. So when doing that, you will beat like 95% of professional investors after fees Mm. over your lifetime. And that's not just my opinion. You have a whole slew of Nobel Prize winners in economics who will say exactly the same thing. The challenge is, and Warren Buffett says it really well, he says investing is simple, but it's not easy. So what happens with most investors is this. Let's say that uh, we have some great data on Americans. So let's say that a, a U.S. stock market index, which is what many many of the intelligent investors in the United States buy, mm. uh, let's say that an index produces a return of 8% per year over a 15-year period. I'm just using that as an example. What will happen is the typical investor who buys that index over that same 15-year time period won't earn a return of 8%, but they might earn a return of 6.5%. So you might wonder, wait a second, the product itself let's say, earns an 8% return, but the people that invest in that same product earn six and a half. Mm. How is that possible? And what typically happens is when, when the economic news is dire, when you have people on the television, on the radio telling you, oh, you know, stocks are going to fall, um, or even when stocks do dip a bit, mm. what people tend to do is they stop either stop investing during that time period, trying to wait for a better time to recontinue their investments, uh, or they sell. And so through that process, it's a fascinating mental thing, mm. but through that process, most people end up buying high and selling low mm. and underperforming the very assets that they're buying. And if they turn off, if they turn off their brains mm. and they just buy every single month, and they ignore all economic forecasts, all stock market forecasts, they will earn the returns of the products that they're buying. Mm. And that's so challenging for people. So, yeah. so it's, it's something that I'll be spending time talking about um, and relating to Norse god mythology as I do it. Oh, I, yeah. think, I think stories are really important when you're trying to explain concepts. So I enjoy that part of it. So who's your Norse god of choice? Is that Odin? <laughs> Odin and Loki oh. are the stars of yeah. the show here. Mm-hmm. So here's how this works. 200 years ago, assume that Odin says to Loki. And Loki is a Norse god of like mischief. And you may be familiar with him through the Avenger series. Like he's Thor's half-brother in the Avenger series. He's the naughty one. He is yeah. the naughty one. Yeah. So Odin is in the series. Odin is their father. And so I explain it this way. I say, 200 years ago, Odin says to Loki, okay, look, you're in charge of the stock market, Loki, but there's only one rule, and that's that the global stock market's return over a 30-year period, has to, you have to ensure that it averages between 8 to 11% per year over every 30-year period. So he says this to Loki 200 years ago. And then he says, Loki, if at any time, any 30-year period, the markets don't end up earning between 8 to 11%, I'll end you. So Loki, being the trickster, says, okay, um, I don't want to die. I'm going to make sure that returns are between 8 to 11% per year. 
but I am going to mess with people as much as I can during different calendar years and different decades to try and completely screw them up. And if I can screw them up, if I can make them fearful and I can make them greedy, then I can ensure that people don't end up earning the returns that they really do deserve. Mm. And then that's your crisis, that's your speculation, that's your economic downturns, your banks messing up things. Correct. The news. Yeah, yeah the yeah. news, yeah. The, the and wars, it, and it's, uh, the perils of life. It, it typically affects men more than it affects women. So what I've found, so I've been giving these talks for about 16 years. Mm. And variety of different countries, it doesn't seem to matter where I go. When I go back to a country where I've given a talk and I've sat down and I've given people really clear instructions, okay, here's how to build a portfolio of index funds, mm. add money every month, and you'll do well. And I might see a couple that I haven't seen in a dozen years, and I'm excited mm. because I'll say, wow, okay, we sat together 12 years ago. How's it going? And and invariably, there are some sheepish looks mm. because <laughs> one side of the couple typically decided they were going to speculate. Mm. And do you know what gender it almost always is? Clearly the females. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the men. It's the men. And so theoretically, it could be to do with testosterone. Yeah. And perhaps men, we think we know things that we don't know. And so, so many times people will say things like, well, I don't want to start investing now because the markets are at or near an all-time high. And, and what those people don't understand is that if the markets didn't continue to hit all-time highs, we wouldn't make money. Mm. So as an example, in 1989, that's when I started to invest. Mm. The markets were, an all, were at an all-time high then. And I'm just glad that I didn't know it. Right, yeah, okay. I just kept adding money every mm. single month. Others will say to me, and again, it's mostly men, mm. they'll say, but you know... Um, there are economic cycles and mm. I'm going to wait until the next stock market drop. Mm. Okay, so <laughs> this is completely wrong-headed because you don't know when the next stock market drop is. Ever, really? Right. No one, no mm. one does. I mean, Warren Buffett says stock market forecasters mm. exist to make fortune tellers look good. Yeah, mm. okay. And it's entirely true. There's a joke on Wall Street that economists have predicted... 100 of the last two stock market crashes. All right. Mm. If you're following the advice of economists, you're going to do horribly as an investor. Of course, especially if if you watch the news, there's so much drama about Trump and about Brexit and so much political uh, discussions that can be that can scare people into I'm going to I'm not going to invest now because Trump's in in power and we have to do it after or, or I'm not going to do it now because of Brexit or little things like that. Especially if you watch the news, you're doomed. <laughs> That's Loki. Yeah. So yeah. when I describe this, I say Loki is in your ear. Loki is working out and manipulating, manipulating the media. Mm. Loki is almost like an ego, isn't it? It's just the ego it's tricking you. Exactly. Because we were talking, and I think this might sort of cross over. We were talking briefly before about, I've recently on a holiday where I spent a week with, with lots of people who are getting married and looking at their financial futures, and lots of them are buying property in the UK. And the conversation was rolling at the table, and it was, a, it was something I don't know anything about. So for me, I was thinking, okay, this is where this is the route where I want to go down because this makes more sense to me to invest and save and blah blah blah. So this is my stay the course mentality. But now I'm sitting at a table, I'm thinking, uh oh, 
should I be investing in property? Should I be saving for a deposit? Should I be looking into that world on yields and on rent and how to get mm. money back? And that's almost like you're saying, that's like my Loki, just trying to speculate in my own head, which is a better option. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, your investment time duration, whether you're buying property or whether you're buying into the stock and bond markets, um, your investment time. So, Caroline, you told me your age. Do you mm -hmm. mind me repeating it? No, it's fine. Okay, so Caroline says she's 50. 30. She, she's, <laughs> she's, so mean. she's the youngest looking 50-year-old I've ever seen. She's unbelievable, <laughs> Keith, isn't she? Yes. Unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, so just mean. look at the podcasts and check out Caroline at 50. Yeah, Incredible. Exactly. <laughs> the best 50-year-old out there. <laughs> Caroline is 34, and she looks young, younger than 34. But the, the, the point here um, is, what was my point? Your lifetime of your property. Ah, there. yeah, yeah, good. Thanks, thanks. I got, uh, I got off track with the old age thing. Um, it's probably because it's my birthday tomorrow. So oh. I'm like, fascinated with the old. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Uh. I know. I turn 49 tomorrow. It's huge. Wow. But so, Caroline. You're the best-looking 49-year-old um, here. Thanks, man. Uh -huh. Thanks. thanks. In, I'm the best-looking 49-year-old in the room? Yeah. I'm probably the only one. Well, that's not speculative. <laughs> you get in trouble if you yeah. guess people's ages. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, Caroline's 34. Um, Caroline, your investment time duration is more than 50 years. Mm -hmm. and, and here's what trips people up, whether they're buying property or whether they're buying stock and bond market investments. They always think about this year and right now. Mm. But the bottom line really is your lifetime. So as an investor, your lifetime of investing should be the length of which, of which you're going to be alive. Mm -hmm. So you're going to live well into perhaps beyond your mm -hmm. 80s. Yeah, no, I think I'm going to like, I'm going to reach close to 100. That's my goal. I'm going to, this body's going to get there. You can do it. <laughs> yeah. You can do it. Mentally, yeah. I'm there, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> and so the whole idea of um, like trying to time things, trying mm -hmm. to time property markets and such. The, the, one, the one thing I find really fascinating is when people will say <laughs> property is better than investing in the stock market. And then others will say investing in the stock market is better than property. Both people, when they make such statements, are not revealing their sophistication. Mm. They're revealing their ignorance. And I say that for several reasons. One is when you're investing in the stock market, what are you buying, first of all? Mm. So if you're out there trying to buy individual shares and to do well with that, well, long term, long term, I'm not talking about one year or two years or even 10 years. I'm talking about th over 30 years. If that's your habit, long-term, you are stacking the deck against you. If you're buying a structural savings scheme, such that are sold here prolifically, long-term... We long spoke about this by DeVere and some of those companies. Oh, you mentioned them? Are you I allowed did. to mention them? Yeah. Are you allowed to mention I them? I don't care. We can yeah. mention oh, them. Yeah, why not? <laughs> well, long-term, you've completely screwed yourself. Mm. And the longer you stay in those things, the more money you lose. Um, Likewise, when we look at property and people say, oh, property is a good investment or property is or isn't better than the stock market investment, that's like saying buying a business is a good investment mm -hmm. because when you're buying property, you are buying a business and many people don't think of it that way. When you're buying a property, you're looking at it just the same as if you were buying a corner store. So if you were buying a corner store, it's like saying buying corner stores is a great investment. Hang on. Where's the corner store? What's the clientele that's coming in? What's the revenue that's generated from it? What's the maintenance that's associated with it? Um, what's the upkeep, perhaps, of mm. the building? 
uh, all of these types of factors. What are the taxes associated with running it? Um, what, what are the, I guess, the capex or the capital expenses that are associated with like keeping it going, the, the advertising and such? When you're buying a property, it's much the same, mm-hmm. where properties aren't all created equal. A property is a business. So once you've decided to buy a property, and you're not living in it, you've bought it strictly for investment purposes. This can be great because you're leveraging, so you're putting a certain amount of money down. Somebody else is purchasing or buying uh, paying the mortgage for you. Mm. But there's so many factors to consider. Like, what is the yield on the property? Mm. And you must always start with yield. Yield is really important. Do you guys know what I mean by that? Not explain really. Anyway. Maybe explain, explain it. it. Yeah, if yeah. Can. I will. Let's say you buy a, uh, a property with it, that's uh, 100,000 pounds. Just keep this really simple. And let's say you can rent it for 10,000 pounds a year. Mm-hmm. Well, you divide 10,000 by 100,000, and now you have a property yield of 10%. Yeah. So this is your business earnings mm-hmm. before taxes, before maintenance. Mm-hmm. You have to, you mm-hmm. must, you must determine what the business earnings yield is when you buy any business, and a property is a business. Mm. And so now you have a benchmark to compare one property in one location with a property in another location. Because all locations and all properties are not created equally. You'll have properties where the investment yield is as low as 25 or 3%. Mm-hmm. And you'll have properties where investment yields can be 10%. <laughs> and then again, there's the, the factor of how much maintenance has to go into this property and what kind mm-hmm. of tenants am I going to get. So if you're going to get strong professional tenants that you hope will stay, be able to pay the rent, not knock holes in the walls when they get drunk... I mean, these are all factors Mm -hmm. that have to come into play. And so you're weighing a whole series of several things because what you'll find is if you have a property that's going to be attracting quality tenants, you're also going to give up part of the yield Mm -hmm. because there's less risk with quality tenants. So with property, um, I mean, we could write an entire 400-page book Mm -hmm. to do the topic justice. And again, to go right back to the very beginning, just to say to say something like property is better than stock investing or vice or vice versa, does not reveal sophistication. It reveals yeah. ignorance. Yeah. I in my in my mind and my understanding, just from what I've read recently, um, that doing in either investing in the stock market or in property, it's doing the same thing just in different ways. It's just a different avenue, particularly if you're doing it to generate cash flow as opposed to to f- other reasons Mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. so you're essentially trying to buy property to increase your cash flow so that it covers your living expenses and eventually is supporting your lifestyle so in my mind it's like doing the same thing just different ways but it's Mm -hmm. a totally different roadmap is that right yeah it is and you're right because in both cases you're working towards increasing future cash flow. Mm-hmm. So in both cases, this is good. But again, in both cases, you don't just sort of listen to one person. If you sat around in Dubai and you listened to someone about stock market investing and you waited for someone in a nice suit to come and tell you how to do it, you're going to get screwed. Right? Likewise, if you just think, oh, I'll buy any old property because property is a great investment without really doing your researching and understanding the business perspective, um, then you can get into trouble, especially because uh, the benefit of leverage also has a downside. So we were talking a bit about that earlier, Keith, where in some cases 
um, if people aren't really paying much attention to yield and they pay a high price for a property and that price drops considerably, you have an economic downturn or whatever that might be. Now you have the risk of potentially not having a tenant that can pay the same degree of, um, of rent hence your mortgage, and you may be in a situation where you owe more money than the home is actually worth. Mm. So there's some thinking that's associated with all of this. But this kind of thinking, back to Caroline, back to your point, is the right kind of thinking. Mm. This is what we need to do to build future cash flow for us and to build future wealth. We need to make these decisions and start working in these directions positively. Mm. Make, make a step and make a move and go with it. I have a couple of questions. Um... What about the argument for the property avenue that says when you're 10, 15 years down the line, you have an asset that, like we just kind of spoke about, you hope is worth more to sell than it was when you bought it. So Sorry, can I just interject there? Because I remember the last time you were here, you showed that presentation about uh, property and stock markets and the difference in in their performance over a time frame. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? Yeah. 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 I Do you remember that? Not that, specifically that one. That graph, it showed the difference between if you had bought property at some stage and if, say, like 100 years ago and you had bought um, stocks, what the difference in value were over time. Sorry, I remember. And there's the two stocks, things. I guess, won out. Um, so, so dramatically. Yeah. So dramatically. What if you had it then... Yeah. Because this is what I'm, I'm... Not counting leverage. So what does leverage mean in that instance? So leverage is like a, when you, you know, when you say, who's that Greek philosopher who said, like, give me a stick long enough and I can move the world? A mm. stick and a fulcrum? I think that so was Keith. That was Keith. It was yeah. definitely it was Keith. Yeah. Yeah. That ancient Greek philosopher, God. Keith. <laughs> <laughs> leverage is when you're borrowing money. So that's the wonderful part about property. So property price appreciation long-term doesn't come close to the stock market, Mm. not even close. So I'll give you an example. Um, One of the best property markets in the last 100 years in terms of actual appreciation has been Vancouver, British Columbia. Mm. So extraordinarily expensive for what you get. So in 1994, uh, the median home value in Vancouver was $360,000. Even then, it's quite a bit. Today, it's... 1.6 1.6 million. Really? Yeah. However, and that's yeah. the, that's the median. So that's the median. Yeah, it's crazy. That's the median crazy. like single family home mm. in Vancouver. These aren't big homes. Yeah, These are just yeah. I lived in Vancouver for a bit. Vancouver is beautiful just mm. as an aside. Which is one of the reasons why it's so expensive yeah. because people really really want to be there. Mm. Um but on the flip side, you know, if you had invested $300,000 in 1994 in say a US stock market index, Today, it's worth over $3 million. So the appreciation plus the dividends were significantly outstripped. Mm -hmm. The Vancouver real estate market and the Vancouver real estate market has been extraordinary over the last 25, 30 years. Mm. So the, the power, though, with real estate, and I don't want to downplay it, the power is through the leverage. So you put less money down, mm-hmm. you're borrowing money, and somebody else is paying off your debt and paying your mortgage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Doing it intelligently is a, is a great way to build wealth. What mm-hmm. I like is the idea that um, if you're going to do one or the other, great, do it intelligently. Doing both, if you can, if you have the financial resources, 
can be even better because sure. you've fully diversified now yeah. your portfolio and your future wealth base. Mm-hmm. The second thing that I'd like to know, just in a bullet point format without having to go too deep, what would the considerations have to be if you're thinking about looking into property from abroad? What are the kind mm. of avenues I need to go down? I need to look up, obviously, the price. I need to look up how much um, down payment I need to put on a property. Right. What kind of yield right yes was there anything else on that list is there any, does this need to be more concise than that mm, you need to look at um what is the property itself in terms of in terms of how much would it cost to maintain it and and this takes a lot of digging because a real estate agent is going to tell you one thing but remember they're salespeople. so now you're going to need to dig into you can hear the blender in the background. Yeah. It's yeah. great. Sorry, guys. It's okay. It's good. This is real life. This is real world. You're going to need to look at like, how much does it actually cost to maintain this property. So, again, not all properties are created equal in this respect. So, if it's an older property, yeah. you know, you're going to end up with higher maintenance costs than if it's a younger or newer property. Um, and many people get swayed by this and brush over this. They go, yeah, 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 yeah. That's not important because of human emotion. So, we get back to human emotion. When you're investing, whether it's property investing mm. or whether it's investing in the stock market, you almost have to think like a robot. You have to turn off your heart and mm. just use yeah. your head. The, be very another, analytical. Yeah, be very mm. analytical. Another really interesting factor is when you're property investing, when you're looking at it, and this is a, coming back, Keith, to your question about yield. This is so important. There's a reason that multimillionaires don't go around buying up single family homes like you really do not meet people worth a hundred million dollars that own 500 single family homes no they don't because it's an it's the it's the most inefficient way to purchase a property mm. so right now i'm sitting in what, what is this place we're sitting in some kind of shopping mall or uh, it's like an office block. It's an office block. Oh, yeah, with a okay. coffee shop in the middle. Yeah. So somebody owns this office block, somebody very wealthy. Mm. And when I look around, I see multiple sources of revenue for that person. So this particular coffee shop um, pays rent. Mm. That bike shop, it's across there, pays rent. So when you have multiple sources of revenue and only one roof to maintain, you typically will end up with a higher yield, mm. which is why wealthy people... When they buy properties, they consider multiple sources of revenue. So case in point now, we'll give you an example with an individual investor. Say you're wanting to buy a property. And let's say you're looking at, say you're looking at Ireland. And you see a couple of properties and you're interested in them. And one of them has two units. If it's in the same neighborhood with all other things being equal in terms of clientele, in terms of um, age of the building, the property with two units is going to be less risky and will have a higher yield. Mm. Because if you lose one tenant, so one tenant loses their job or they die, at least you still have one other tenant that can actually help you with the mortgage. And, And the overall, when you're looking at this building, you have one roof to maintain, you have four walls on the outside, you only have one garden to maintain, but you have two sources of revenue. So when all other things are equal, a triplex... I mean, a property with three rental units within it is better than one with two. 
a quad with four mm -hmm. is better than one with three or two when all of the things are equal. So again, coming back to this, this is the this is a business decision. But most people just close their eyes and go, property is a good in, is a good investment because mm -hmm. the price of the home goes yeah. up in value. Mm -hmm. and that in itself is an incredibly unsophisticated way of looking at it, and you can boost your profits by being a bit more sophisticated. I think as well what I've heard a lot of a lot of uh, people in my age group, they're looking just to buy a family home or just that, that's it. It's like, I'm going to buy a house, I'm going to buy a property just to get on the property ladder and that's it. That's mm. what I'm buying. They're not thinking about uh, anything beyond just owning that one residential property as right. opposed to what about my retirement or what about beyond when I pay that off. Mm -hmm. That's quite interesting. But something you said to me, there's a few things that you said last time that really stuck with me. One was about inflation, um, about the 3% inflation. Now everywhere I look, do you know where you go and you deposit money into a bank and they're like, oh, we'll give you 1% bank if you don't touch it in a year. <laughs> and I look at that and I think, oh my God. You've lost money. I've lost money. Yeah. <laughs> I have, and I never factored in that whole inflation aspect. Now I just see it everywhere. It's, it's you interesting. You lost money because you lost purchasing power. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So when we look at developed world markets over the last 100 years, inflation's averaged about 3.4% per year. Sometimes it's lower, and sometimes it's a lot higher. So we've had inflation that's been 12%, 13% per year, like in the early 1980s. In the United Kingdom over the last decade, inflation ran 2.2% on average compounding. And so what that means is if somebody invested 10,000 pounds 10 years ago, and today it was worth 12,400 pounds, they've actually lost money. Yeah. Mm. And a lot of people don't recognize that. So exactly, if you put money in a savings account, and it's there for a lengthy period of time, mm. yet you've lost money. And, and back, Caroline, to what you were talking about with um, many expats are saying, look, I want... I want to buy some kind of future shelter. Mm. And that's what a property is great for. If they're not thinking about yeah. it as... Um, it's security for it's a lot of people. It's important. It's a place that they're going to be able to live yeah. when they do go back home. So I, yeah. I understand that for sure. For a lot of people, it's it's okay. When I retire, I need to have a place that I can live, right. but it's going to be paid off. And that's not an investment mm. for future cash flow because you have to live somewhere. But it's an investment in future shelter and your life. Mm. So this is really this is this can be really important for expats to have something that they can go back home to. So mm. they they put a down payment on a property. And of course that can be really challenging as Keith